0: We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Uh, tonight, we are still in the solas, and so tonight we started um, before Christmas on Christ Alone and did part one, and then tonight we're going to do part two of Christ Alone, and then we'll have two weeks left, and we're going to study God's glory alone over the next couple of weeks so i'm excited about the next couple of weeks and the next series excited that you're here tonight excited about the series that we've been in on sunday mornings um, really enjoying preaching through and studying the life of elijah there is so much that is there i'm excited about this coming sunday it's going to be a great great day i know that many of you are going to be here for that looking forward to it um That's a great way, by the way, to invite people to church. In other words, if there's a series that's starting, that's a great way to say, hey, why don't you come check this out? We're starting a new series on the words of Jesus or starting a new series. We just started a new series on Elijah. Love for you to come and to be a part of that. But tonight, um, we're going to revisit two verses of Scripture um, because we really want to hammer home this point about what it means to say Christ alone. We talked about the solas, and we talked about um, what it means that there are certain non-negotiables of the Christian faith. There are things that you and I might debate and might not always agree upon. There's brothers and sisters in Christ that I have different theological disagreements with, and that's okay. But there are certain things that are so fundamental to the faith that if you don't believe these things, you're not Christian. And so tonight, one of the things that we've been talking about is that we are saved by Christ alone. And so what does that really look like? And the two verses of Scripture, and many of you know them well, um, that we're referencing for this point is number one, John 14, 6. Um, John 14, 6. You may know that verse already. You'll remember that in John chapter 14, um, one of the, uh, it's actually a, a passage that's read often at funerals. In John fourteen one, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. In my Father's house were many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And then Thomas asked the question, he says, well, how do we get there? How, How do we get to where you're talking about? And Jesus says famously in John chapter 14, verse six, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one gets to the father but or except by me. Now that's about as plain as it gets how then one, must one be saved? You must be saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. That's it. There's no other way Jesus made that very certain. Peter, when preaching in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, that's another verse you see on your sheet. What did Peter say? As the onlooker? Peter looked at the onlookers and he said, salvation is found under no other name than the name of Jesus Christ. That's it. So when we glory, when we say we glory in Jesus alone, the reason we glory in Jesus alone is because he is the only way unto salvation. Now, the reason that that's so important for the church to stress, especially when we talk about young people, students, children, college students, the reason that we need to be very, very clear about this, and I wanna share some what I think are some incredibly disturbing statistics. Um, And instead of taking these statistics from the general populace, we're going to take these statistics tonight from actually church-going people or people that claim to be Christian because I think that helps us to get a better picture of the problem. When we talk about things the world believes, we expect the world to believe some messed up things. You should. The world is lost. The, the path is broad. So when we talk about the statistics of what people believe in the secular culture, they ought to be horrendous. Um, I, I One of the things that I think the church... Uh, needs to accept is that we need to quit hoping that culture is going to get better. Culture is not going to get better. Culture is getting worse and it's gonna get worse and it's gonna to continue to be degrading. And so when we talk about, one of the things I think that so people became so disillusioned with is there was even a movement in the 1980s that thought the religious right was going to bring about a moral majority inside the United States and because we had a moral majority, we were gonna vote our way into a more righteous America. Has that happened? It can't happen. It's not that I don't think we ought to vote for righteousness or vote for morality. We certainly should. But the issue is that we can always expect the world, the lost of the world, to act lost and to think lost. They aren't going to think like saved people. So where we need to be examining ourselves is in the issue of the church. What do people in church believe? And I have quickly learned not to assume that because someone has a church affiliation that they believe the same thing that I do. Not to, even if somebody goes to church, necessarily they don't believe the same thing I do. If someone claims to be born again, they may or may not believe the same things. And I'm not talking about just the fringe issues. I'm talking about core issues, the solas that we've been studying, specifically because it comes to Christ alone. So you see that 68% of adults claiming to be born again, and 91% of Christian teenagers reject Christ the concept of absolute truth. Let me let that sink in. Almost 70% of people who claim to be born again don't believe in absolute truth. And nine out of every 10 teenagers who claims to be Christian will say they don't believe in absolute truth. Now, you probably already, uh, hopefully for some of you, it's already given you some pause. But what that will cause them to in turn do is say that the gospel is true only for those who believe it to be true. So in other words, the majority of kids that are in youth groups in even Southern Baptist life, you might ask them, what is the gospel? And they may be able to tell you gospel means good news. Well, what is the good news? They may be able to tell you that Christ died for their sins and they've given their life to Jesus. They may be able to tell you that. But many of them that tell you that will also then, if pressed, say, but that's what I believe. And if you ask them, well, what do you mean that's what you believe? Well, I believe that's how I'm saved. Well, do you believe that that is the only way someone can be saved? Nine out of ten kids that go to, to claim to be born again will tell you that they don't believe that is the only way to be saved. It's their way, but it's not the only way. That is incredibly disturbing because if you believe there is another way to be saved other than the gospel, you have so diluted and cheapened the gospel that it's not the gospel. In fact, I will take a, uh, this is a, this may be a, a little strong, um, maybe unpalatable for some, but if a child does not understand that Jesus is the only way to salvation, they may not understand that Jesus is the way of salvation. Just think on that for just a moment. The reason being is because if I don't see him as the only way to salvation, whether I'm a child or an adult, then I don't understand the value of the atonement. I don't understand the value of the sacrifice on the cross. I don't even see the need for the sacrifice on the cross. Truly, I don't understand the value of the resurrection. All of the essential elements of the gospel are tied to understanding the exclusivity of Christ alone for salvation. And so I like to, to especially with teens, try to make them see the hole in the logic that they have bought, not only from the liberal media, but from the world at large, when we use that type of, um, that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Well, Well, first of all, you just made an absolute statement. If I tell you there's no such thing as absolute truth, you just might ask them, do you believe that absolutely? Oh, absolutely I do. Even from the verbiage, it doesn't make any sense. But we, we've talked about in here, we wouldn't use that same logic with any other discipline, with nothing else, not even when it comes, we've talked, we've used some math examples, but, but let's just talk a little bit about basic vocabulary. Now, some of our vocabulary may be larger than others, but everyone in here has a base level vocabulary that in the English language, you understand what certain words mean. When I say a chair, you know what that means. When I say a choir stand, everyone in here could point to it. If I said, hey, everybody come up here and show me where the stairs are, that wouldn't be a problem at all. These are all just basic English language terminology. Even to use basic language, I have to believe in absolute truth because I have to believe when I'm communicating with you that the words I'm using are universally agreed upon that we are talking about the same thing. If, if a fork is no longer a fork but can be whatever you want it to be, then the way you're going to understand what I'm saying and the way I'm speaking, literally everything loses value. That's how nonsensical it is. That's how ridiculous it is. But yet we would never tell someone the law of gravity only applies to those who believe in the law of gravity. If you went and climbed to the top of our steeple after this is over and got to the top and declared before the town of Summit, I do not believe in the law of gravity." I don't care whether you believe it or not, jump off the steeple. Whether or not you believe it or you don't believe it has no bearing on whether or not gravity exists. We need to start understanding that theologically we help people to understand that in the same vein. So. We're we're kind of going over some common objections, and that's just a way that we kind of set the tone to go into the rest of the notes tonight. So so let's um, let's go real quickly from a biblical objection and that we've been talking about. And th- what I want to give you now is what I believe to be more of a philosophic objection, or even a logic objection, just to, to what and, and we've talked about that some. But you see the second note on there: if everyone is going to heaven or even if there is some other way, then Christ's experience on the cross was a horrific waste. Let me say that that again. For those of you that are parents, or those of you that have ever loved anybody, I hope that's everybody in here. You've ever cared deeply for another human being. I want you to think about that if Jesus is not the only way to heaven, then the God you say you worship is a terrible God. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by that. If there was any other way to get to heaven, then why in the world... Would God have allowed his only son to be murdered in the cruelest form of punishment possible if people could get to heaven another way? If they could get to heaven another way, then it would make no sense. And all of a sudden, what we've got with God doing is nothing more than child abuse. Because there's no other way that men must be saved than but by Jesus. So it would be a horrific waste. So that would bring into question the whole reality of hell and we've talked some about that it is amazing that even in our new age the new age times that we live in the majority of people still believe in an afterlife do you know that the majority of people still believe there is an afterlife it is a very small small minority of people who believe that there is a place called hell well if if only a few if most people believe in an afterlife and very few people believe in hell, then what do the majority of people believe about the afterlife? That there's only one place that's going to exist, and that's some form of heaven, their idea of heaven, and that part B, everybody's going. That's universalism at its finest, that everybody's going to get to heaven one way or the other. And we talked about how people believe that it's just different paths that are all going to lead to the same place. Well, We began this series by talking about Sola Scriptura or Scripture alone. So let's just throw another stat out there. Out of the 1,830 verses in the New Testament that contain the teachings of Jesus, 13% deal with the subject of eternal judgment and hell. I had a question not long ago, what did Jesus talk on the most? You know, Jesus talked two things that, that are recorded in Scripture that Jesus talked about the most. Are the very two things that people say they don't want to hear talked about in church. Probably can guess what those are. Money and hell. So when we hear that, when we when we think about that, if then all of a sudden it brings up another aspect of logic. When A couple of weeks ago when we spelled out what we wanted to do as far as missions is concerned and that we want to take the gospel to the continents, that we want to evangelize Pike County, that we're sending people on missions, that we're asking you to share the gospel, that we're asking you to share your story, then think about it. Why in the world would Jesus' last mandate on earth be to go ye therefore and spread the gospel You will be my witnesses unto Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's literally the last thing he said before he ascended. That's what the Bible says. So evangelism was absolutely important to Jesus. What sense would it make to evangelize people who would be okay if they never heard the gospel? People ask all the time, what about people that don't hear the gospel? That's Romans one natural revelation enough to be able to walk outside and see the sun moon and stars to be able to to enjoy the beauty of the ocean that's enough for you to acknowledge that there is a creator but it is not enough for you to have a relationship with that creator which means that the only way that coming someone can be saved is not by natural revelation it's not by believing that there is some god The only way to be saved is by Jesus alone. So that being the case when we are teaching kids, when we're teaching students, we need to help them to understand that the reason that they do missions is not because we wanna be like the Peace Corps. Now, follow me on that. There are a lot of do-good philanthropic organizations around the world and I think that's great that help the homeless, that that feed people, that put up shelters, that that help needy children. That's fantastic. What is the difference in doing those things and a true mission trip? Let me give you a real example of that. Let's go to the most most brutal example that we could give. We always hear about starving children, you know, starving children in Africa, starving children in other most parts of the world. Should Christian people care about starving people? Absolutely. Absolutely. Should we want to care for the sick and the dying? Absolutely. The issue though becomes if you offer someone bread, but you don't give them the bread of life, you've kicked their biggest problem down the road. Now follow me on this. It's not that it wasn't a caring thing to do, but the biggest issue of their soul is that if they die, they'll go to hell. So you fed them to keep them alive a little longer, but the biggest issue of their heart is not whether or not their clothing is up to date. It's not whether or not they've been immunized. It's not as important as potable water is, and people sometimes, as important as that is, We have to use those things to carry the gospel. Those things can never be an end in and of themselves or you've left without giving people the most important information that there is. And that is the gospel. So if people were going to be okay anyway, there would be no reason to evangelize. And it's unfortunate how many people in church, if you were to ask them, well, what's going to happen to people that never hear the gospel? You know, the majority of people in church will say, well, they'll be okay. Well, if that's what you think, then missions really makes no sense. Think about that. If there's a person in the world who's never heard the name of Jesus, and they could somehow get to heaven out of their ignorance, ignorance was somehow going to get you to heaven, then wouldn't it be the most hateful thing in the world to go share the gospel with them? Because then they have an opportunity to reject it. And if they rejected it, according to your logic, now they would be damned. But if we'd left them alone, they'd have been okay. That doesn't make sense. And from a logical standpoint, the gospel is an imperative because when we say Jesus is the only way, excuse me, that means that ignorance is not a way to to heaven any more than any other world religion. So, uh, then, then we, we hit one of my favorite one of my favorite objections. But how can so many people be wrong? How can so many people be so wrong? What did Jesus say? Words of Jesus. We've used this a hundred times walking through this. Which which way is wider? The gate the road to salvation or the road to hell? Which is a wider road? Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Do more people fit on a broad road or a narrow road? A broad road. So are there going to be more people in hell or more people in heaven? Hell, people don't like that, but that's, that's true. That's absolute words of Jesus. That's reality. So if that's reality, then we need to quit. It's like we are so caught up sometimes with polling, and I'm about done with that too. I'm, I'm not even getting... I'm going to get on. This is Wednesday night. I can, I can chase a pig trail every now and then. Don't believe all that polling. Well, we polled all these people and this many people are going to do this and do that. What we, and so we start believing sometimes, well, we can't really even make a difference. The polls say, you do right and let your actions speak for themselves and let the Lord use that. But we'll listen to polling and say, well, you know, um, it's, not, it's a very small percentage of the world population that thinks that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Do you think that God is somehow running a popularity vote? Well, I hope everybody down there likes me. That's not at all what the gospel has ever been. And so it's not about how can many people be so wrong the majority is not always right. I think we, we see that over and over and over again. So, so let's really quickly move from that. If so, many people, if so many people can be so wrong, if the majority is not always right, then what we know now more than ever, and, and this is what I think is important, especially with children and teens and college students, is that we have to increasingly teach them from a young age that if you're really going to live this out, you're going to be an alien and a stranger. The Bible said that the, the first-century church they expected to be treated like they were weirdos. Christians was a derogatory term, little Christ. They they were. And so in the first century, when the New Testament was written, there was this general assumption that if you were a Christian, you understood if you lived that out, it was going to be difficult. Well, then something happened, especially in American society, where when there was a Judeo-Christian ethic in our country, most people thought that whether somebody was really sold out to Jesus or not, that the values and the morals were going to be close enough, that people, pretty well as it came to that, that all of our kids would, would be okay because our society was creating around them this cocoon of generally understood morals. In other words, the people down the street, the people on the other side of town, they all, we all generally believe the same things. I hope that's been shattered in your life. Because we do not live in a place anymore where we can count on culture to give our children the right idea. Let me let me tell you this. All right. This is just I just found this fascinating the other night. I record some different shows. It's not like they're all they're not all preaching shows. I mean, I like some different things. And so I've got some stuff recorded on my on the on the TV the other night. And uh it, I mean, it, it's really some odd, it's, it's really odd, think different things that are recorded. Everything from Dateline to Andy Griffith to Jeopardy. I mean, I've got a bunch of stuff on my DVR. Um, so the other night, um, I click on an Andy Griffith episode, like clicked it on. I'm sitting there. I've got a few minutes. I think Brooke was finishing up supper. So I thought I'd get me a little Andy Taylor. He just kind of makes you feel like the world might be okay, you know? And so I'm I'm watching, he's, him and Opie are learning some moral lesson, which is fantastic, you know, and he's teaching Opie that, that, uh, the right thing to do. And it cuts to commercial. Now, because it's on DVR, I can speed through the commercials, right? That's awesome part of DVR. But before I hit, before I hit the fast forward, a commercial came on. Now, just follow me on this. I'm watching Andy Griffith, right? Opie Taylor, Mayberry, you know, that's what I'm watching boom, cuts to commercial. Do you know what the commercial was for? Y'all are real nervous now because y'all seen the commercials. Y'all are like, oh, no, which one's he going to talk about? RuPaul's Drag Race. A whole show dedicated to drag queens. That's what the, the whole commercial was about promoting this show. And, but... The juxtaposition, if it hadn't been sick, would have been hilarious because we've gone from Andy Taylor teaching opiate lesson to RuPaul's Drag Race, I mean, boom, but on on the recording. And so I'm watching that and I'm realizing something that that I've known, but the world we live in is so sick that that's become normalized. So if you want your kids to really be sold out for Jesus, they're probably going to be weird in the world or considered weird. Let me say it that they're going to be considered weird by the world that we live in. Um, So we need to help them to see that they are entering a world in which there is going to be very much opposition to the faith. But then one of the, the other objections we always hear, isn't it more important to be genuine or just to have genuine faith. I hear that all the time. I heard somebody say that last week. You know, I don't know what they believe, but they sure are sincere. That's a dumb thing to say. Why? Because if you're sincerely wrong, then who cares? You might believe it with all of your heart. I've believed a lot of things throughout my life that came to find out that that were not true. How many of you have ever believed a lie? Some of them may have just been missed in the fables of being a child, and you grow up and realize, oh, well, that wasn't exactly what I thought that was going to be, right? And then sometimes you believe things about people. You ever believe somebody? Anybody ever disappointed you? You believe things about people that weren't true. And so sometimes when we say, well, it's just the fact that they really are authentic or they really are genuine. Well, we need to help people to see you can be genuine and you can be genuinely wrong all at the same time. Um, That's true of that's true of every arena of life. Um, And and then next and and this I've spelled this out, but I think really what I'm I'm going to call this the fairness objection the fairness objection. People will say, but it's not fair that someone would be judged or that we inherited sin. It's not fair that someone would be judged. Because isn't that the favorite? That's the mantra of society. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. You, you don't judge me, right? I don't know why the church got Scared of saying that God is absolutely going to judge you. On the Ten Commandments alone, you are proven to be a lawbreaker. You have broken all Ten Commandments over and over and over again. So if you were put on trial before God, you are guilty. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that tonight, but I hope everybody knows that. You're guilty. God is holy and perfect and righteous and just, and you are not. So, when you enter the courtroom of God, you're not being compared. It's not that God's going to say, Well, let me get Austin and Larry up there together and see which one of them's better. No, I'm being compared to God. That's the standard. So, because He's the standard, I'm in trouble. So, when we say it's not fair for God to judge us, we need to in turn ask the question Well, are you not a lawbreaker? When people understand that they're a lawbreaker, we want, we want people to be judged. When we look around and th- this huge news story about these young ladies that got killed out west, it was just going on and on and on, and they're ever going to catch this guy. Collectively as a nation, we want people caught. How many of you remember, I remember when they finally got Osama bin Laden. I pumped my fist. I wanted them to get that joker. Right? I don't mind saying that. We want justice for everybody but me, right? I want want justice. Well, for God to be just, it means that he has to punish. And if we think for a moment how unfair it is, then we need to think about how unfair it actually was for Jesus to be placed on the cross, someone that was innocent, but to be made guilty because of our sin, and then... Furthermore, the objection that a good and loving God would not or should not let bad things happen. That's one of the things, and I used to try to explain that away. Well, if God is loving and God is powerful, then he shouldn't ever let bad things happen to people. Because God is just and is righteous, what would be right is for God to annihilate and destroy every person. That's what God, if we're talking about fairness, he ought to kill us all and then send us all to hell. That would be God being just and fair and and us getting what we deserve, everyone getting what they deserve. So when we talk about the gospel, we need to quit framing it in the term of, well, everybody really is a good person and God should dole out the blessings on everyone and start understanding that if God saves anyone, it shows that it is an act of loving kindness and that he is the one that should be receiving the glory through Christ alone. Um, And then finally, um, and and this has to do with evangelism and missions, but this this has to do with really the way we see the gospel and understand the gospel. A lot of people will tell you that if you don't believe in Jesus, that's a harmless offense. And because God is love, God will overlook that as well. To not believe in Jesus. When I say believe in Jesus, let me clarify that just real quickly. You don't have a choice whether to believe in Jesus. Watch. Wait before you get nervous. Jesus existed. All right. To say you don't believe in Jesus would be the equivalent of saying, well, I don't believe in Thomas Jefferson. He's a historical reality. So you don't get to choose whether or not you believe in Jesus. And we need to quit asking people, do you believe in Jesus? What does that mean? Well, part of the problem with that question is, I'm assuming that the Jesus that you're talking about and the Jesus I'm talking about are the same one. I'm talking about the biblical Jesus. I don't know who you're talking about. But as far as Jesus as a historical figure, you have to believe in him. He existed. So the better question is, who do you say that Jesus is? That's That's what Jesus asked about himself. I guess we ought to just phrase it the same way Jesus did. Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, who do you say that I am? So maybe when we evangelize, we ask people just like that. Who do you believe Jesus is? Now, that's a really good question. Because if people start talking about him being a teacher or a wonderful example, they're probably unredeemed. They're probably unredeemed. And what I mean by that is, If someone's truly experienced the transforming, regenerating power of Jesus Christ in their life, and you ask them the question, who is Jesus? The person who is born again that has been rescued from the pit of hell and saved from their their sin is going to say something to the effect. I'm glad you ask. Let me tell you about my Savior. Let me tell you about my Redeemer. Let me tell you about my friend. Or maybe they'll tell you, I'm glad you asked. It's been a long time ago, but I met him, and he changed me, and he saved me, and I was destined for a horrible place in life, but he reached down out of that slimy pit, and he set my feet upon a rock. People are going to talk about him like they know him, not like they're rehearsing facts to you. Now, are the facts important? Absolutely, but when we Teach children about who Jesus is. We need to help them to understand that if you choose not to believe in Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, that is not a harmless offense. You have spit in the face of God. If I offered you the best thing I had, the best thing I owned, the best thing that I possessed, and I said I wanted to give you that as a gift, and you just kind of turned your nose up at it, and then you looked at me and you said, well, I don't want you to be offended. Well, I care less whether you want me to be offended. I'm offended. I, I, that really meant something to me that I wanted to give that to you, and you don't even have the decency to say thank you? Well, if in human terms you understand that, how can God offer His only Son to someone and someone reject Him and say that's not an offense, that that's no big deal? It's the worst crime that's ever been committed in the history of humanity, the rejection of Jesus Christ as, sa- as Savior and Lord. It is punishable by death and hell. So it's serious. So when we say Christ alone, we are talking about the very heart of what the gospel actually teaches. So that's an important, that's really that these past couple of weeks, as, as we talked about, certainly Scripture alone, and we've talked about grace alone, and Christ alone, and God's glory alone, all of these solas are so important. But we need to understand that the apex of all of them is found in the person and the work of Christ. It's found in the good news of the gospel. So we are a people that absolutely, do we embrace truth? 100%. Is Is there absolute truth? 100%. And do we believe it absolutely? 100%. We are studying to show ourselves approved as workmen who correctly handle the word of truth. That's the call that's placed on us and on our lives. And so we're excited about that. I'm excited about being on this journey with you all. I'm excited about what God is doing in the faith and the life of this church. I'm excited about what he's going to do uh, Sunday. I'm excited that you're going to reach out to somebody. It's Wednesday. You've got a bunch of days left that you're going to reach out to somebody to invite them to be a part of what God is going to do here. I'm also excited this weekend as Disciple Now. Uh, we're pumped up. I'm going to have a house full of 8th grade girls at my house this weekend. So we're going to be rocking and rolling uh, over there. Looking forward to, to that this weekend. So many people involved in that. The last I heard we had um, right out 150 just kids signed up for Disciple Now. So that's really incredible. We're hosting the whole area. It's coming here for Disciple Now on Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night. So they'll be in this sanctuary and being a part of that. Um, come by, stick your head in, um, see, see what God's doing in that. It's, it's amazing time to get to be a part of that. If you have not, um, if, if somehow you have a student and they have not signed up and you'd like for them to sign up, let us know at the office this week. Deadline is passed, but I know the preacher. I'll try to get you in, all right? Uh, um, so we'll try to, try to hook you up on that if y'all need some help. All right, let's pray together, and we'll, we will be dismissed. Lord, we do thank you for everything that you've done for us in Christ. And, Lord, I pray that we would be not only defenders of the faith, but we would be proud advocates of the faith. I'm, Lord, I'm glad for myself and everyone who in this room who would ask who is Jesus, that we can say he's my Savior. He's the lover of my soul. He's my rescuer. He's my redeemer. He's my friend. He's my justifier. He's my sanctifier. Lord Jesus, when we describe you, there are not enough adjectives to be able to describe who you are and what you have done in our lives. The holy one, the righteous one, the one that even hears this prayer when, Lord, we don't even deserve to be able to utter it. So we thank you for your blood. And we ask, Lord, that you would do in us what only you can do. So Lord, we expectantly live our lives and Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength by the power of your Holy Spirit to live them in a way that brings you glory and honor. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.